0: Welcome to Oddly On Air, where we expand teaching and learning perspectives by connecting theory and practice through conversations with expert Westchester University faculty and members of the Teaching and Learning Center. And now to our Orders of Digital Learning and Innovation.
1: Welcome back, dear listener, to yet another episode. My name is Dr. Tom Pantasis and I'm an instructional designer with the Teaching and Learning Center. I'll be co-hosting today alongside...
0: Hi, everyone. It's Madison Steinbrenner, another instructional designer.
1: Before we get to our opening, we do want to introduce one new person here who will be producing the podcast this year. We have one of our instructional design associates I think I got that right. I hope I did. Nick Gavin. Uh, Nick, you want to say anything to our audience? I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So Madison, in terms of today's topic, um, how politically inclined are you?
0: Um, a lot. Probably too much that I, I read <laughs> stuff too much. I need a, a nice break where I'm not constantly like, oh no, what's going on?
1: <laughs> so that's interesting because I'm definitely a little bit of a political nerd, uh, studied government an undergrad, yes, learned a lot.
0: You're our office history person. <laughs> That's true, I am
1: that too. So um, our topic today is definitely politically inclined. And joining us today to talk about the Rampole is Professor Laura Pyatt. So welcome to the show, Laura.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This is a treat.
1: <laughs> so we always open with this first question here. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. So uh, I am a professor in the math department. I teach statistics, undergraduate statistics. I've been here since two thousand and one, so pretty long time. And I love Westchester. I love being here. My two daughters, one graduated from here, one is about to. And I like to ride a bicycle. Yes. <laughs> I am always
1: seeing your pictures about the various <laughs> locations in which you are riding a bicycle. Yes. So. Uh, all right, so can you tell us a little bit about RAMPOL and what this thing is that we're going to be talking about today?
2: Sure. So the RAMPOL is an election poll, and it is a product of a course that I teach. I teach a course in a fall of even years, so as they line up with federal ele- elections. Uh, STAT 201 is the name of the course, and it's Statistical Methods for Political Polling. Um, it's run three times. It started in 2018. And part of the course is the students and I create a, um, an election poll that we distribute. First, The first year we distributed just to Westchester University students, but the second two RAM polls actually went across the state to students uh, who attend PASHI universities.
0: What was your inspiration to create it?
2: So my inspiration came from the election of 2016. Nerds unite. I am also (laughs) a politics nerd. And as we got closer to the election of 2016, obviously we're all looking at the polls, and the polls showed Hillary Clinton with a lead. The national polls did. It wasn't huge, but it was there. And the state polls, the important states, those swing states, also showed her with a lead. And they they, they kind of missed. Um, I think the national polls actually did not perform horribly. A lot of the state polls did not perform very well, and they did not predict the winner. And I saw a lot of online conversation about how the polls are terrible, how we shouldn't trust them. Um, they're all broken. And a lot of the conversation... It was my opinion that it was coming from people who did not understand how polls actually work. It's my opinion that you can really just teach the people who are in front of you. So I decided to build a course and kind of worked on it over the year 2017. And that's when it started in 2018. We had just, I just had three students. We did uh, just a poll on campus and then it grew from there.
1: How did you get from your teaching students in that course? You could just teach them about it why is it that you chose to actually go out and like put a poll into the field, which is a term I believe they use in politics, mm-hmm. okay. um, and, and use that as a mechanism within your class?
2: I'm a big believer in um, active learning. I try and use active...
1: That's definitely research fact.
2: Uh, <laughs> um, wow, that was so exciting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a very normal effect here yeah. when we play it for the first time without any warning. People are like, what is
2: that? Yeah. The angel
1: sounds. That the was mean so research. Cool.
2: <laughs> um, I am a believer in active learning. I use it um, as often as I can. It's just a perfect way for students to see all of the parts. There are so many things that come into making a quality poll. It starts just by defining the right target population to what kind of sample are you going to take, and how many samples, and what kind of response rate are you going to get to writing the questions and making sure you don't include any bias in your questions. Analysis, we talk about um, weighting our data, post-ratification weights, um, and then how do you present that in a way that the information is usable and understandable and teaches the people.
1: It's very <laughs> experiential, right? Because it they're is. actually doing the thing and putting the results in the world as if they were a polling firm.
2: And I've been so fortunate um, to have some guest speakers over the years. Um, I've had the pollsters from the Franklin and Marshall Public Opinion Research Center. I've had the director from the Muhlenberg poll speak to my students. And so um, they get to see it, you know, as the professionals do it and understand that we're really doing exactly what they do, just maybe on a smaller scale, on a much more specific scale. Than maybe all Pennsylvania voters or all national voters, we're just looking at college-age students in Pennsylvania.
1: So I do want to note, too, that that experiential aspect of that, doing things and putting them out in the real world, is also a research-backed teaching concept that is certainly in the same space as... Active learning too. So, if,
2: if I get a certain number of those little dings, <laughs> is there a prize? There might be. A little donut we, or something? We've never counted them before, but. Yeah, that's a, that's a good we idea. We can try. <laughs> you can try.
0: Okay. So, can you take us through the process for students? How do they
2: work on Rampole? Sure. So, um, the course immediately starts with the students receiving city training. They sign up for city training.
1: What is city training sure. for our non- Higher ed audience members?
2: (laughs) So every institution has something called an IRB, which is an Institutional Review Board. That, you know, to put it very simply, makes sure that we're not in here experimenting on students without (laughs) their permission, but it protects them. So... To submit work to the IRB to get IRB approval, anybody who's affiliated with that work is going to use that data, receive city training. So it's an online module-based program that they learn about the history, um, kind of the dark history of, of research in America and how we need to protect whether it's safety or anonymity of our subjects. So they get their city training first. We talk about the history of polling, which in America, or election polling, which is very interesting. There's some crazy stuff that happened at the beginning of what we call probability-based sampling. And after we talk about the history of polling, then we, we really need to get to work pretty quickly. We try and get the poll out the first week in October. So we've got about five weeks to talk about the history of polling how we're going to build our sample, what the questions are going to be that are on the poll. We do something called a pilot study, which is just a really small pre-study where we'll send out a link to maybe... It's all in Qualtrics, so the students all have to learn Qualtrics. So we send out our pilot study to maybe just 50 or 60 students to make sure that everything's spelled right and and everything works right. And, you know, our email links aren't getting caught in a in a, a net somewhere. And uh, yeah, we've got, we've got a hustle. Once that link goes out to our random sample, we last time we sent 15,000 emails out, then we just kind of watch and wait and we get excited. <laughs> Where
1: do you get those addresses? Like how do you acquire sure. that? Cause that's a lot of names.
2: It's a lot. So um, I do a lot of work in the summer on my own, getting ready um, for the poll. The students kind of walk into, it's kind of like one of those cooking shows where they throw the raw turkey in, and then she turns around and takes the cooked turkey out, (laughs) like it's already ready to go. But I get IRB approval from as many Pashi schools as I can, and I've been very lucky in the last two RAM polls. We've had every school but one sign up. So that's my whole summer is getting ready for that. Part of the approval process when I go to all the individual schools is that they understand that if you say yes to me, then you're giving me access to emails. The PASHI Data Analytics Office that I guess would be in Harrisburg if they weren't all remote, Um, they help me with that. So as I get the approvals from the universities, I turn around and send those approval documents to PASHI and they generate a random sample of email addresses. We make sure that the students are at least 18 and that they are permanent Pennsylvania residents because that's our target population. And they provide the emails for me just through like CSV file.
1: So, a couple of things there for our listeners. PASHI is the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education, which Westchester is a member of. So, the survey goes out.
2: The survey goes out. And you all wait. What happens we, with the students at that point? Oh my gosh, they're so excited <laughs> because Qualtrics has a little dashboard and we get to see the responses. And the pattern is pretty consistent year to year. You send it out, and then the first maybe 12 to 24 hours, you get the most responses. Um, And then it drastically drops off. And then we send a reminder. We get a little bump, drop off. One last reminder, little bump, drop off. And um, we never get the sample size that we we want um, because students don't click on links.
1: So then I'm assuming class is still going on, right? Yeah. So So at some point the data closes, right? You're like, okay, our data collection is done. What happens at that point? Yeah.
2: So once the data collection closes – I will kind of, I'll download the data from Qualtrics and I'll do some cleaning up. Part of our IRB process is protecting anonymity of the respondents. So I'll go into that data set and make sure there are no identifying, you know, um, IP addresses or email addresses or anything, and I'll clean that up. And then, so now what happens is um, kind of two paths here. I personally will write the Rampole report. And actually, I use a, a, a graduate assistant from the stats program to help me. And that's really, it's called like a top-line report where you summarize all the questions. You just go down question 1 to question 25, and here are the responses, and here are the proportions. And they're all weighted. Um, we do use weighting. We weight by gender, and we weight by race. And we wait by region of the con- uh, region of the state, and we can talk about what waiting is. It's yeah. Looking at already. me, I, I see like, the side can you eye over. Waiting to eyes? <laughs> so I'll write the report. What the students do at this point is they will pick a question that interests them. We ask all different kinds of questions, from "Are you registered to vote." Who will you vote for? What party are you registered in? Is this your first time voting? We'll ask questions depending on what the election is. Are you going to who will you vote for for president, for senator, things like that? Last time we asked an issue, an issue question like here are these 10 issues, which are the ones that you think are the most important to you? And so my students will pick one question and they will either compare it maybe 2022 to 2020? 2020. Have we seen changes? Or they'll do some type of deeper dive, like a cross-tabulation, like are students registered to different parties based on where in the state they come from? Or do they feel a certain way about abortion based on gender? So they'll do, um, they'll do some deeper research, and it's their job to research that question, analyze that data, and put together a scientific poster for um, the College of Science and Mathematics Research Day. At the end of the semester
1: so one thing i want to point out there from an instructional standpoint is you're giving students choice in that Mm -hmm. in terms of that question that they pursue and that's always a really strong teaching strategy (laughs) to let students (laughs) pursue those (laughs) things that they are excited about so yet another research hit for you so
0: thank you can you explain the weighting sure sure sure
2: your population has certain criteria right? You have a certain number of males and females. You have a certain number of college graduates and non-college graduates. And there are, those characteristics can often predict how someone's going to vote. When you take a sample, you want your sample to match your population as well as you can, right? Because you want your sample and the, the values, the estimators you get from your sample to represent the population. When I see that, you know, Hillary Clinton's winning by 10 percent in this poll, it means that she's going to win by 10 percent plus or minus in the entire population. If your sample doesn't match your population, then what you can do after you calculate all your estimates is you can adjust them slightly. You can say, okay, like, for example, at Westchester University, I think we're like a 60-40 split, females to males, Right, But if I take a sample from Westchester University and the respondents are 70-30, that will definitely influence my results. And it will influence in a a way that makes it not look like the reality. So we can apply something called post-stratification weights that would give a female in that sample a little less weight on her response and a male in that sample a little bit more weight.
1: Post stratification, whatever that was. Yes. <laughs> That's got to have some research behind it, too.
2: A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so then um, the rest of the semester is is, you know, I do, we talk about tech, um, statistical techniques. We keep it really simple working on our posters, having some cool speakers come in. We had a a journalist from the wall street journal come in. Um, so he came in and talked a little bit about what he does, but he asked so many great questions. It was a lot of fun. So
1: that's great. And that's another
2: hit it. (laughs) Bring (laughs) in
1: outside guest speakers. That's another one.
2: Um, I think it's like, I think that's like four or five. Yeah,
1: Yeah, you're up there. (laughs) Okay. So um, how did you come to the decision to utilize the Pashi schools as your population for the RAM poll?
2: I love this question so much. (laughs) And I get this question a lot. So Pennsylvania historically has been a kind of state where people don't leave. I don't know if that's the case in recent years. You know, demographic uh, flow has changed a little bit, but... For a long time, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvanians didn't leave Pennsylvania, right? You were born, that's my life. I've lived in Pennsylvania my entire life.
1: I came back, so. You yeah, know. right? So <laughs> interesting.
2: Yeah, so you're born here, you go to school maybe yeah. here, um, but if you don't, you come back, you work here, and you kind of die here. And it (laughs) explains why we have have a lot of seniors in Pennsylvania, right? So when I originally came up with this idea, I wanted it to happen every two years. I thought about this idea of a long-term, this longitudinal data set that we could kind of track what's going on over the years. And students who attend our state schools are those lifers, right? That are born here, they go to school here, they work here, they retire here. And so they're Pennsylvanians. So that was my thought when I, you know, I had opportunities to maybe go get some samples from Temple or from Penn State. But there's a lot of people from New Jersey who go to Penn State. And I guess we could easily filter them out. But I also want to support our system. I think we have a great system that offers a wonderful education that's so much more reasonable than um, than other schools. So I wanted to support our system and kind of bring it bring it to the attention of others who may not know about us.
0: So how did you get those other universities involved and like on board with the whole process?
2: Yeah, a lot of gifts and bribes. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so that's the IRB process, mm-hmm. right? And each school has its own IRB. And that's always faculty who kind of do this on the side. We have our own IRB here, and our IRB is um, faculty. And so I get clearance or I get approval at, at Westchester first. And there, there is an idea around the state system that we kind of reciprocate we honor. So everybody usually looks pretty carefully at the IRB and they ask me questions. There are a couple schools who as soon as they get mine, they're like, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for us, (laughs) (laughs) which I really appreciate. And then there are some who it's like the end of August and I'm like, hey, Slippery Rock, where are you? I'll start writing my IRB in January, get it all written, get it to the Westchester board in March or April, hopefully get approval in a month and Hopefully, get those things out the door before people leave for the summer. So, it's a process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the Pashi folks have been amazing, and um, I really appreciate it.
1: Can you talk a little bit about students' attitudes or engagement with the process as they go through the course and, and engage with the Ram poll?
2: So, more than any other course, I think it helps with engagement that it is an elective. No one's taking it because they have to. They want to. I definitely noticed the students lean in more quickly in that class than, than in most other classes. I think the guest speakers definitely help. I'll just give you
1: one for I'm saying just it. I'm killing
2: it. I'm killing it. Um the guest speakers help. The hands on helps. So like last time we we did we always try and do an incentive to get students to Uh, click on the link. And the last time we did a little survey experiment where half of the campuses got a link that would give them an incentive, which was like a $5 e-gift card, and half of the campuses didn't. And the lobbying that went on for the Westchester campus to be in the incentive group was very strong. (laughs) So that was fun. But they lean in very quickly. It's a small class that also helps. And once they get to do their own thing and kind of make their own choices about what they want to study and how they're going to make their comparisons, they're very enthusiastic and they're always very excited on poster day. (laughs) It is so fun to see how excited they are. Culmination
1: of all that work. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you have any tips for faculty that are interested in creating similar scenarios like creating polls, experimental learning opportunities, statewide initiatives, a lot of things? Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, my advice would be to give yourself a lot of lead time, mm-hmm. right? So if, you're, if the course is already developed, that's great. But the IRB process, if you think it's five months it's probably more like eight or nine. Um, and give yourself that time. It's especially if you've never done anything, even at Westchester's IRB, it's not always intuitive. And I will definitely speak up for the my fellow faculty members who serve on our IRB. I think they're overworked and underrecognized. It's a lot of work. And um, I always appreciate it when they get back to me in a timely manner. But it's very difficult. So give yourself a ton of time. Get city trained. Make sure all of your students. I'm starting to have all of my statistics students city trained. If they come through the statistics major, by the time they have a couple courses with me, they will have their city training. It's a really nice thing to have as a student. If a, you have a professor who wants to do research, he says, well, I already have my city certificate, mm-hmm. so I'm good to go. Um, but give yourself a lot of lead time and um, just ask, ask experts. I've been so, so thrilled with the eagerness with which experts have said to me, not only do you need to do this, but what can I do to help you? Terry Madonna led the Franklin or Marshall poll previous to that. It was the Keystone poll, which is the longest running Pennsylvania statewide election poll. And I reached out to him and I said, I'm thinking about doing, I didn't know him. I reached out to him. I said, what do you think? He's like, you absolutely must do this and I will do whatever I can to help you. He gave us his poll. He's like, you can take all these questions, bring your students up here. The first year we went up there, the next year we Zoomed with him. Incredibly generous um, Find those experts. You're going to run into one or two that are not so generous, so just like skip them and move on to the next one. That has been so helpful to me.
1: So one thing I want to point out is that this is really representative of the teacher scholar model here, right? Where you're definitely like engaged in research of a certain kind and bringing it into the classroom and helping that inform your teaching. Invite like that cycle. So I just think that's a great example of this.
2: Did you want to hit that green button?
1: There we go. (laughs) I had to push a little hard there. So I'll hit the green button for that. I think
2: you're probably
0: definitely winning. (laughs) Yay!
1: (laughs) So one research article, Experiential Learning Revisited, Lessons from a Student-Led Public Opinion Polling Class from Political Science and Politics, uh, talked about experiential learning as something that's interdisciplinary. It's like the real world and promotes meaningful connections among students, professors, the material, and the world. And I think that... Very much represents the experiential learning that's going on with your poll.
2: Is that a publication? Yes. You need to send that to me.
1: (laughs) It'll be in the show notes.
2: Oh, in the (laughs) show notes. Will there be like a discount for like getting my nails done or HelloFresh or anything in the show notes? No,
1: I can tell you about that more after you're done recording. (laughs) All right, Madison, let's summarize here. Professor Laura Pyatt was inspired by the 2016 presidential election, and after seeing a lot of online conversation about the lack of trust and understanding on how polls work, she developed the course Statistical Methods for Political Polling, or STAT 201.
0: The RAM poll is a product of that course. It surveys Pashi students' opinions and voting plans for the upcoming election. The Pashi system was ideal, as most students are and are likely to remain lifelong Pennsylvanians.
1: STAT 201 offers students active and experiential learning through collecting and working with real-time data to deliver an accurate and functional statistical analysis in the same way that polling professionals do, but just on a little smaller scale.
0: The course is an elective comprised of statistics, math, and political science majors, so she brings in speakers like professional pollsters and political journalists to provide valuable insight into career opportunities and demonstrate how students can use these skills.
1: When taking on a large-scale project like RAM Professor Pyatt emphasized giving yourself plenty of time to prepare. Even though the poll doesn't go out until October, she's started working on it in January, so she has plenty of time to secure those IRB approvals from all the participating PASHE schools. (laughs) What's one resource or teaching tip you want to share with everybody today?
2: I would say a teaching tip would be to not fear technology. It can be intimidating, to try a new technology, but then not only try it and learn it, but then use it in front of a classroom (laughs) full of students and then pretend like you know what you're doing. I think we all, students, faculty alike, understand the rapid pace of change and innovation with technology. And so that the idea of being an expert at anything is kind of fluid, right? You're an expert Tuesday, but by Wednesday, what you know might be out of date. So why not just jump into the pool and use what's available to you, whether it's something like R or our Studio, I, I taught that to myself as well as I took a class here at Westchester with one of my colleagues, which was very helpful. Um, Qualtrics, I taught myself and looked at YouTube videos and got some help from the it folks here who are amazing. I built a Google site by myself last year f- to support the students for R and R studio. You're welcome. Ah, <laughs> there's somebody in the room who helped me do that and, and, and actually pushed me to do that. So, and my students have expressed appreciation for that site. So it, it's intimidating but it's there, and there are people to help you. So before you can have confidence, you need a little courage. So be courageous and try something new. And I think your your students will not only appreciate it, but they'll have patience for you, mm-hmm. with you. Yeah.
0: That is a great tip. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, what is something
2: that is bringing you joy these days? The Phillies. <laughs>
1: Red October is on its oh way. Oh
2: my gosh. All right. So This is probably
1: coming out after Red October. Well, but.
2: <laughs> so here's a little secret. Um, I already bought tickets for that in that three game series for when they clinched. Because I know this is coming out afterwards, the baseball gods won't be upset with me for saying this. So I'm hoping next week I'm at the first playoff game. But the Phillies bring me and so many people such joy when they win, and it just it's this wonderful, joyous experience that we all get to share at the same time.
1: I love playoff sports, oh, but like the crowd in Philly playoff sports, and crazy. last year's yeah. Phillies run that yeah. that crowd is like. Oh, it was so good. It's joyous. It is. There's something about that.
2: Well, that. and there's so few things in life, in the world, where we all get to be joyous at the same time, mm-hmm. right? That pure joy where like, there's a total stranger in the stands next to you, and you just hug him or her, <laughs> and everybody's happy and everybody's joyous, and you know, even if you don't like sports, just jump in, jump in, and enjoy the joy because it's so worth it. Yeah, and always riding my bike. Okay, I can't <laughs> leave my bike out. Yeah.
1: So thanks for listening today, and thank you, Laura, for being a great guest today. Oh,
2: thank you so much for having me. This was fun.
1: If you, listener, have any interest in being a future guest, or if you have any suggestions for a future topic, please email us at tlc at wcupa.edu. And if you've been enjoying our show, please consider leaving us a comment or a review.
2: Stay odd.